This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. If you are taking notes, let's make sure that you write on that safety and godly knowledge part two. The second one. Go with me to the book of Judges, chapter 2, and rest there. And as you go there, I, will, I, have, I used for an example last week the children of Israel. And again, I want to continue to use them to go through what God is teaching us about having safety in godly knowledge. Now, I'm going to bring everyone up to speed as we go there. This is the, a time in the history of Israel that the children of, uh, uh, well, in the history of, of their life, the children of Israel, they're now in the, you know, they're now out of the wilderness, and Joshua have brought them into the promised land. They have been led through, they've been walking around in the wilderness for 40 years, but now they are now in the promised land. We're getting close to the end of Joshua's life, and Joshua has finished his course and has done his assignment. And we know that the place that the children of Israel began to go into or resided in is a type of infrastructure, a place where their needs was met for the first time, where they could meet each other's needs among themselves. They didn't have to totally depend on God for every little thing, because the Bible said they had houses to build, uh, houses built that they didn't have to build. They had wells that. They didn't have to dig. They had cattle that they didn't have to raise. So they were in infrastructure, and they were surviving among themselves because the infrastructure was set in there. But something happened within that infrastructure, and that's what we want to find out. So in Judges chapter 2, let's begin there, and we'll begin uh, at verse 6. And the Scriptures read, And when Joshua and had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. Joshua said, okay, Nance, I'm swine enough, sending everybody where they need to go into their inheritance. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Hares, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, also everybody else that was in that generation, including Joshua's son. They all died. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord. This is what we're trying to prevent in this ministry. We want every generation from this point on, the ones that belong to this church, every generation after you should know the Lord. And so we want to make sure that we examine the mistakes that Israel made so we won't make the same ones. Amen. 
And uh, oh, it says, verse 10, And also the generation that gathered up to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Did, they didn't keep it going, or they didn't want to remember it. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of uh, gods of and of gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Verse 15. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. I want to reemphasize, like last week, when it says that God delivered them into to their hand and gave them over to Paul. All that means is that God backed off. When they forsook Him, He stepped back. When they served other gods, He let everything that was going to happen to them happen. Whereas things were always happening to Israel, but as long as they was with God, He always did. He never delivered them into the hand of I Him. Mean, he actually delivered them. So when you read those things, I don't want you, because there is no evil in God. You have to understand how the scriptures are reading, writ, uh, written and how you're reading them. That's why you should have a personal relationship with God and walking with God so you can understand the scriptures. So here we have them. God has taken his hands off of them because they wanted to serve Baal and they wanted to serve Ashtaroth and they wanted to do their own thing and the gods all around them. That means anything that was going on around. You know, when it says they served gods of the other people that are around them, that's different things too. For example, just an example. If you are a parent and you have a child in homosexuality and you don't address it, you begin to serve their God. Because there's many gods around here. Look, I know you can't tell grown people what to do, but if you just don't say anything, act like it doesn't exist, or just ignore it, or accept it, you are now serving another god. And because so, I don't want you to think that they had some big statues everywhere and everybody would go. There's different areas that you can, you can serve. You can serve your car and make it a god. And I can't do nothing for God, but, you know, I, I got to stay home from church today to wash my car. That's your God. So it's many different ways. I don't want you to just think, think like, you know, they're just talking about some idol that some, something made of stone. You got to watch what different gods are. Amen. And so we see some of the, the, the things that are happening. We see one generation that's now moved into a promise, and they were sent as individuals, each one of them, into their own inheritance. But we see something happen. 
and they got back and when when they got back to their own inheritance something happened because we see this in all of this we see that they died off a lot of them began to die off their children and the other ones didn't they you, that should have carried on the legacy didn't they didn't they because it said they didn't have the knowledge they knew not God they didn't know the works that God did so they didn't carry on the knowledge of the Lord nor did they have any knowledge of the things that God has had done how can you all the things that God done deliver them out of Egypt all of those things how can all of that go on and you not pass it on but you know sometimes you can pass things on to your children and they get so caught up in the world they forget those things and then as time goes along, they forget to give it to their children and they go on from one day. And then you have whole generations that knew not the God of their father. That shall not be happening in this ministry. Amen. And because now, we need to understand this, that the knowledge of God they didn't have. The knowledge of his ways and what he done, they didn't have. And because of their lack of knowledge... Here we go. They would, you know, they found themselves doing things outside of their indigenous behavior. See, you, 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 you will find yourself the same way. You will get outside of the way you're supposed to act if you get caught up in the gods of this world. You have an indigenous behavior that you need to be operating in on a daily basis. They quickly got out of it. You know, now, now, <clears throat> Understand this, they were not in distress because they didn't have an army strong enough to battle, I told you that, to fend off the enemies, they had that. They were not distressed because they didn't know how to battle off the enemies. See, a lot of times your distress and the things that you're going to go through, it's not because you can't, you know, you, you, because you don't have the strength to, you don't have the knowledge. It's safety and knowledge. They were distressed because they had a lack of knowledge and how to maintain the inheritance that they had. And so with this thing happening, what happens is things creep up in our lives. Creeps up. See, it's not so obvious. It doesn't jump up in our life. It just creeps up in our life. Things that concerns us that's outside of the will of God. We get all concerned with issues and, you know, and the reason why I can't do this and that because I'm, I'm concerned and caught up with that. And you know what? And that's our inherent nature to get caught up with things outside of the things of God. And it brings us right into a place where when knowledge is going forth, we lack it because we're so caught up with everything going around us, we won't let the knowledge of God sink in. We, you know, we put ourselves in places and we want God to do something immediately and, and which will take a process for you to learn something. But we don't want to wait. So you ignore the knowledge. You know, yeah, well, they're talking about somebody else. Whenever you have a lack of knowledge pertaining to anything, listen, anything, there's a lack of safety. Whenever you have a lack of knowledge pertaining to anything, there's a lack of safety. Whenever there's knowledge, there is safety. Wherever there's godly knowledge, there is safety. And the lack of knowledge will distress you, make you make wrong choices, make you desperate. It's a lack of knowledge. 
we've already stated and understand that what you, we know we always say what you don't know won't hurt you, but we found out, yes, it'll kill you. And ignorance is bliss. Oh, yeah, it's, that, that, that's, enough. that's destruction. All of that's against the Word of God. There's nothing else in the world, listen, there's nothing else in the world that will ever give you safety but godly knowledge. Please write that down, because sometimes we think it's different things that can make us safe. But there's nothing in this earth right now, period, that can give you, make, uh, make you or give you safety but godly knowledge. Laws cannot do it. Different administrations won't make you safe. Policies can't do it. Rules can't do it. It's not going to make you safe. Think about this. Some of us or some of you rely on the government or this system of laws to provide safety for you. But, this, but, but see, I'm going to show you where, I'm, I'm show you where it can't. But even though you live in this society, it's, guess what? They still commit crimes. Even though they have laws that can't keep you safe. The whole reason for punishment as it relates to, to uh, laws is that, you know, they do them so people won't commit crime. But we still have crimes. <laughs> you don't feel any more safe. Because they say, you know, with the gun deal, everybody carry a gun. You feel more safe. You don't feel more safe. You, you know, we should have more laws and more punishments behind crime. Okay, we can do all of that. But you still, you, they do it all the time with policies. But it still doesn't make you safe. So some of you are hoping, and you know, and you voting, and you hoping for tougher laws, or, you know, more jail time for the criminal. But you know what? It still will not give you any safety. There is no safety in any other way but godly knowledge. Then you will feel safe, no matter what. No safety that come. The safety only comes through godly knowledge. So there's areas, if there are areas in our lives, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our academic life, you know, in our personal areas of life, in our life, you know, if, if there's places in there that you feel unsecure and unsure and unsafe in any of those areas in your life, there is an absence of godly knowledge there. There's an absence of godly knowledge in whatever area it is that you don't quite feel safe. Lack of godly knowledge. Some of us feel unsafe in our homes. Some of us feel, un, you know, unsecure about our children. You know, in other words, if you know that you knew that your children knew what God had for them, you wouldn't be so concerned. See, if you're concerned, I don't know. I don't know if they're getting it. I don't know. See, if there's a concern, you don't feel secure. I don't know if I left the world. I don't know how they would be because I, that's an insecure. Godly knowledge will give you that security that even when you're gone, 
they're going to walk with the things of God. Why? Because you're going to live it in front of them. You're going to change. You're going to be the first one that can get the truth moving. Truth has to move. Are you with me? Some people don't feel safe until they go to church. And reason that is, and the reason that is, and I understand, is because this is a source of godly knowledge. Church is a source of godly knowledge. But guess what? In the church, it's not a safe place either when you get the godly knowledge and don't live it. See, the godly knowledge is here, but you can come in here and just because it here won't make you safe, you got to have it reside on the inside of you for it to make you safe. Not the church building, not just fellowshipping around. If you want the, uh, the godly knowledge to feel safe, you cannot just come hear it. You got to let it reside on the inside. Did you know this? So you'll understand. Don't you know peace and turmoil can exist at the same time? Peace and turmoil can exist at the same time. Godly knowledge was the thing that would keep you safe in the midst of it. And both, and a lot of you have a lot of false insecurity because we, you know, we are around the things of God, but they, but being around the things of God is not going to keep you safe either. You know what? You, you got to be in the things of God, not around it. Many of God's people are just around the things of God. But it's not until you are in the things of God. Don't be a person that's around it, the things of God, but not in the things of God. Knowledge keeps the believer safe in dangerous times, and those are the times we live in. A lack of knowledge causes us to feel unsafe no matter where we are. Knowledge, godly knowledge, reduces fear. And it is fear that will always cause us to fail. Most people, or most young people, or whoever, most people who struggle academically... It, is really, it really is not the information. It's the lack of knowledge of what God has divested, divested in their minds. They think they can't do it. They be like, oh, you know. Most fail academically. They don't believe that they are mind, their mind is capable of that success. So inevitably, people say, oh, do you want to be an engineer? Well, do you like math? Because you don't like math, ain't no way you can be an engineer. See, it's just a lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. There's some people that hate math that are engineers. But, but, but the mindset is, and so you give that person the mindset, well, I, I can't do it because I don't like no math, so I can't do that at all. And God has already divested in your mind the capability to do and be anything that you want to be and do. But a lack of knowledge would say, oh, no, I'm not smart enough to do that. Nobody in my family ever did it, so I surely can't do it. Everybody say lack of knowledge will kill you. It will kill you. Amen. You don't want to go in different areas because you'll be like, oh, I think that's too hard. All somebody has to do is tell you it's too hard. And you'll be like, well, I, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. No. You can do anything. Anything that you want. It's the lack of knowledge that's preventing you from getting it. But if you're getting the knowledge, you can do it. 
You can do anything that you want to do. Amen. It doesn't have any, you know, even academically. Listen, those of you, especially you going to college, in high school, in school, listen, it has nothing to do with the test or the exam. Get it out of your head. It has nothing to do with the test or exam. It has to do with the fact is what you have established a relationship in your mind is whatever you have established. That's the premise on how you're going to even take the test. Oh, I know I'm a failure. That's the premise. What have you established a relationship with? You have to establish a relationship with the fact that I can excel academically. I can excel academically. So the matter, so so the manifestation of poor academics is 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 what I have made a, have a relationship with in my head. That lack of knowledge or wrong knowledge that was given to you. And you establish a relationship with it where everything you're going to make it bypass through that. You're going to filter it through that wrong information. Are you with me? But um, I'm here to tell you, God said it has nothing to do with your aptitude. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what you have established a relationship with. Some people say, you know, I grew up in a home where nobody, you know, nobody encouraged me, or nobody supported me, and, you know, nobody, you know, I was told I was going to be this, or I was going to be that. So as a result, you have established a relationship with what they told you. And so now everything that you do as an adult, you filter it through that. Yeah, they said I would know. Well, there's many people, they had to fight through what people told them they couldn't do to do some things. They had to get new information. They had to get outside of where they were and get into a place and surround themselves with people that taught them better, that gave them godly knowledge, that gave, uh, let's just say even natural knowledge, that broke that and they went, oh, I, I, I did what nobody said I could do. Even some of some teachers told people, you can't do that. You can't be an astronaut. You can't. You need to just get you this job and that. And see, and that's filter. And so now you filter everything through that. Well, I couldn't do that. Yeah, you can. has nothing to do with your aptitude. What have you based your relationship? You have, you, 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 you don't even know that you've made a relationship with that wrong, false information. Now you, you're insecure. Amen? You, you know, you've, 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 you've formed a relationship where they told you you're not intelligent enough. You've got a relationship with that. Wrong type of knowledge will get you all off of the things of God. When we talk about knowledge, we're talking about establishing a relationship with information. That's why godly information is so important. Because wrong information is still information. So what am I going to make a, a relationship with? Information, wrong information, or godly information? It's your choice. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we need not to be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God even knew. You're going to have all kind of things. Don't form a relationship with it. Transform. Have a renewed mind. Get new information so you can be safe and you feel bold and you feel, feel comfort, confident. I can do this. I like what... Um, 
Minister Hastings, we used to talk about different things, and and he would say, well, he had confidence that when he said when he used to be in college, whatever, and he'd go and when they take a test, and he'd give him the key. I mean. Here's the key. Here's my. I, I'm doing. He was confident. What I don't care whether it was good, bad, or indifferent was told to him. But whatever it was, he broke through it and he made a relationship with. He could do it, and I can get everyone right. You have to push through any negative thing that was told you. Because sometimes negative negative things have been told you growing up because that's the way your parents grew up. They didn't have nothing else to give you. But now that you're getting new information, make say, you know what, I'm, I'm establishing a new relationship. I can do anything I want to. That's why you see what, what you have, the adult education now where people go back to school and everything. Because when they were younger, they never thought they could. And somewhere they got some new information. They said, I'm going back to school. I can do this. I don't care if they get a degree and, and they're 40, 50, or whatever. They was like, I never thought I could. I, Lord, if I would only knew what I knew, know now, then. But the fact that you get it, and you, and you have to establish a relationship with it. Not just hear it, establish a relationship with it. You have to renew your mind. Because you have a relationship with information. And you don't want a relationship with information that's contrary to the Word of God. Because it will always, everybody say always, if you establish a relationship with information that's contrary to the Word of God, it will always lead to a failing and a bad outcome. Always. It will lead you to fail and have a bad outcome. So what happened is that we hear the Word, and 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 we hear the word, but we never renew our minds based on that word. And then we begin to make decisions. And then we go about our daily lives, not based on the knowledge of God. But you come and hear it all the time, but won't just establish it and say, you know what, I'm basing my life on that. But you base your life on things and establish a relationship with those easily that's contrary to the Word of God. How do you know that's true, Pastor? Because we have to teach the same thing to you over and over. And 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 now the Word of God, you know, you're gonna you're gonna, but God increases. But you, you see it in everyday life. We we see you live it. If you're not living it, you come in here long enough, you can tell what you're living. And then what we do is we we think to ourselves, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why is God, you know, why am God letting me end up in the wrong place? I go to church, and it's not that He's allowing anything to happen. It's the fact that you're starting off with the wrong premise. Stop acting like God is allowing this to happen. He's making this up. No, you got the wrong premise. So until our minds are renewed and begin to operate completely as it relates to how God sees us, we will always end up on the wrong end. Always. We will always end up in the wrong place. We will always end up marrying the wrong person. You'll always end up taking the wrong job. You'll always end up befriending and getting into relationship with, with the wrong people. Are you are you following me? You don't want that. 
See, you'll always hear things like to, to this morning on Sundays and live something else on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. See, you can't hear something and you know God is speaking to you and you won't live it. You just hear it. Oh, I hear people all the time. They love the word. They hear it. I'm looking to see you live it. Hearing it is not enough. You got to live it. And then we define knowledge, we, we define knowledge as establishing a relationship with information. We also define knowledge as understanding move to action. Once I understand it, I move. <laughs> Once I understand it, I move to action. When I have knowledge, I have understood something to a point where I base Erase everything on what I now know. And then I start moving. Now I got it, and I'm going to base it on it, and I'm going to start moving. And then we talked a little bit about some kingdoms. We said that you have, uh, uh, you have the kingdom of God, and that's your internal relationship that you need to be working on. We have the kingdom of heaven, which is your area of influence, your sphere of influence, people around you. And then we your area of uh, uh, and it's your area of dominion. And then we need to set. We said we need to have a biblical infrastructure. That's what this church is trying to do. We want a biblical infrastructure at the end of it all. That's a part of our calling and uh, a, a part of our assignment. Now, in order to be successful in these areas, you have to have knowledge. You cannot finish internal kingdom, working on yourself. You cannot finish your divine area of influence of people around you. You cannot do any of those things. If, if you, you know, people that are around you and people that are in your life, God is entrusting you to do something with that. To do something with that. And you surely can't finish the infrastructure without knowledge. And um, knowledge must be correctly, it must be applied correctly in all of those three areas. All of those areas, it has to be applied correctly. It's vitally important that you work on getting yourself in place, a place of safety in knowledge. It's vital important. So then, so that you can fix all the areas around you. In your divine sphere of influence. You can't wait for anybody else to do it. You need to do it. Once you get, that's why when you get the knowledge, you gotta have that understanding and move to action. Okay, I got it. Get yourself there. And then, when you begin to operate in those, then God said, now I need you to be an access to the infrastructure that I'm building here. A biblical infrastructure for your children's children's children. For your great-great-grandchildren. So that this can go on until Jesus returns. This is what we have to do. We have to get to a, a doing in our life where we're equal with the information Listen, we're equal with the information that we get and not dependent upon the information. I'm going to explain that. Well, You've got to get equal with the information and not dependent on the information. And why is that? 
God has already finished the end. Know that. God has already finished the end. And we're at the beginning. See, many of us are, are consumed with the end. Oh, yeah, the end's going to be this. But the end, is, the end is at the finish. You're at the beginning. You need to get busy now. And stop trying to think about the end. What are you doing now? You trying to rush to the end? That's not the way it works. You cannot make plans based on the end. You have to make plans to get to the end, but not based on the end. Ooh, did you get that? You cannot make plans based on the end. You have to make plans to get to the end. So you have to take care of those areas in your lives. You'll have to, you know, if you're going to share in this biblical infrastructure so that all of us can network ourselves together. See, the children of Israel, when they went to their own inheritance, they didn't perfect the kingdom of, them, of themselves first. Of themselves first. See, they didn't take care of what they needed to themselves. And that's why God has been ministering to us on a daily basis for almost two years in this pandemic. To work on yourself. Israel didn't do that. They should have been working. When they were roaming for 40 years, they should have been working on themselves. And they wouldn't have got caught like they did. And the whole infrastructure failed. They didn't care and didn't take care of their divine area of influence. That's why the next generation didn't know their God and didn't know the works. You got those that are around you. You got to make sure that you're making an impact, because at the end of it all, with Israel, the infrastructure failed. That's a mistake we don't have to make because we can take the information and we can become one with it and equal with it. And we can begin to move toward the end. And see, their infrastructure didn't fall because it didn't exist. It exists. It was strong. It was real. It was viable. It was for sure. It only fell for one simple reason. They had a lack of knowledge. Just that simple reason can tear down a whole, whole infrastructure. See, if you, let me tell you, if you didn't lack knowledge, you wouldn't jump from church to church. Because you understand, you gotta, you already know what the end's gonna be. You won't be all over the place and, well, I'm doing this and, you know, all that carnal stuff because you understand there will come a time when it's the end. And guess what? God doesn't care about your, your, your offense and all. God, you're gonna have to answer. Some of you out there that's listening to me this morning, you was in this ministry years ago, and I'm telling you, God has that on your charge. Because that's where He placed you. And you would be so much further along in your spiritual walk if you just would have been still. But lack of knowledge didn't allow you to. See, lack of knowledge makes you think you can make your own decisions. But how can you when you belong to God? Thank you, Lord. I said it and I move on. Where am I? 
When we talk about knowledge, we must turn. Remember we said knowledge, it has to turn. Truth. And knowledge, godly knowledge is truth. So knowledge must turn. Most of the time when we think about our infrastructure, we, the first thing we think about is monetary resources. Let me tell you, you can't do anything in the infrastructure without knowledge. I don't care how much money you have. You still can't do anything without knowledge. And in this particular infrastructure, you can't do anything without godly knowledge. Godly knowledge must turn the inheritance. It must turn. Because the inheritance that we're leaving, we're trying to leave in the earth. Listen, it's okay about the insurance policy, but that's not the inheritance we're trying to leave. We're trying to leave knowledge. We're not trying to leave money. The inheritance that we're trying to leave is knowledge. Because with knowledge, listen, with knowledge you can have money. But if you only leave money as an inheritance, what happens when the money loses its value? What happens when that happens? And that's subject to happen in our country and in any country. So what happens when, when, when it loses its value? The success of your children will not depend on money. It will depend on knowledge. Because money comes and it goes. You don't have to get caught up in that because you better leave some knowledge. So then we must make sure that the knowledge turns. First it turns inside of me first. Then it turns in those people that are around me and in my sphere of influence. Then I turn it to the infrastructure. And God established it from the infrastructure, from children, their children, the children's children. God began to just keep it going because why? You have established it. But that's your job to establish it. If you look at it, look at successful people in the natural. They make and lose fortunes all the time. All the time. But the things that keep them as successful is knowledge of how this, this system works in the natural sense. It doesn't have anything to do with the dollar. I'm trying to get your head outside of the money. Because sometimes they have it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they even file bankruptcy. But have you ever noticed you can, we, you can all, and you hear people say, oh God, oh God, they went under. And now they back millionaires. <laughs> Be like, how did they get back on that and they, they file bankruptcy or anything? Knowledge is not about the money. Knowledge. And while we busy trying to scrape together $1,000, Yeah, our first 1,000. Woo, I got my first 1,000 to save. And they're losing and gaining millions. And the only difference between you and them, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with knowledge. That's the only difference is knowledge. So we must understand, knowledge must turn and turn and turn and come back. It has to come back. The, it has to always come back. If it doesn't, let me tell you, you don't even have to have a lot of money if knowledge come back. 
Because it'll teach you to make the money. People that work hard and hard and hard to get the money, somewhere the, the knowledge never got back. So they have to make work hard to get it. But if knowledge keeps turning and comes back, you'll always have money. Don't have to get caught up in it. And we said that safety in safety there's three things. We said is safety is safety in knowing the vision, the divine instructions. We said the vision makes known the final outcome. The vision will always make known the final outcome. Whenever God gives you a vision of who you are, of how you of how you fit into the body of Christ. He's doing it and, and, and making it and, and he's gonna make known known to you the end. Did you hear me? He's gonna always make known to you the end. A vi- listen, a vision doesn't say that you're there. A vision never says that you're there. A vision simply shows you where you're going to be. It never take it never it never shows you you're here now. No. It's showing you that's where we're going. That's the vision. It's going to show you where we're going. But it's telling you, you're not there. You're going there. Vision makes known the end. So when he shows you who you are, from his perspective, I know you think you who you are, whatever, but no, no, no. He has to show you who you are from his perspective. And when he shows you how you fit into the body of Christ, in general, and when he shows you the, the, your role, it will affect the whole body of Christ as a whole. It'll, it'll affect it. And he's always doing that so that you can see the end. But notice what he does. He gives that to you and he shows it to you for you to see the end, but he never takes you to the end. God sees the end and then he comes back and he and then he tells you and then he tells you get started to go there did you hear me so the vision makes known the final outcome the vision will show you the final outcome if you do what you're supposed to do the end is at a appointed time And it's appointed by Him. When we talk about vision, there's three areas as it relates to the vision. Divine call, the divine purpose, and the divine right to finish. Remember, we talked about that. In a vision, there's a divine call, a divine purpose, and a divine right to finish. All of us have the same divine call. Know that. Every one of us have the same. So you tell somebody, yeah, I'm called. Because all of us have the same divine call. And that is reconciliation. That's to cause others to follow Christ. The divine purpose is the part we play as individuals in God's plan. The divine purpose is the part that we play as individuals in God's plan. If you listen, if you're uncertain about God's divine plan for you, then you need to get busy with the first part, and that is your divine call. Get busy with that first, and then you'll find your purpose. Get get busy reconciling others to Christ. Get get busy being a blessing to others, and your purpose will come into play clearly. 
Because no matter what it is God wants you to do, no matter what the purpose is, it will always somehow be lined up with seeking and saving that which is lost. Always. It's not about buildings and stuff and things. It's about seeking and save that which is lost. So when you get involved with reconciliation, the reconciliation part, it will clarify what it is in particular that you're going to do. It will clarify itself. You don't have to ask anybody, well, I don't know my part and I'm just waiting. Let me tell you, get busy with the things of God you're calling and it will it, it'll just be clarified in teaching. It'll become clear. You'll be like, I know exactly now what I need to do. You know, the body of Christ is, but it's made up of cells. The scripture tells us it's made up of cells. So then you'll know your cell. You'll know your part. And you'll know how it functions. You'll know how it functions in the body to make the body work. The whole body work. Why? Because I'm a cell. And I have a share. And so now I know what I need to be doing in the body of Christ. When I get involved with reconciliation. And then I gave you a self-test, remember? And my first question is, do I know and understand the vision that God has for me? That's something that we have to answer our individual selves. It, those are just questions. When I say a self-test, this is just something that you have to ask yourself once you get off the line. Or once you get home and you're in your study time. Do I know and understand the vision that God has given? The second question I asked you was, is my vision clear? Do you clearly see what God is calling you to do? The third question is, have I aligned myself with the vision? Whenever, Listen, whenever you make a decision not to align yourself with the vision, listen to me. You are never in right standing with God and you'll never have peace. I'll say it again. Whenever God has already given you a given you laid out the plan for you and you don't align yourself with his vision, you will never, never be in right standing with him. I don't care how much you come to church and you'll never have peace. Because see, righteousness not only just mean living right, living holy, it also means living your life with purpose. I'll say it again. Righteousness not only just means living holy, it also means living the life that God has purposed you to live. That's what holy do. Because, see, we get into that deal. Okay, I'm living holy now. I don't do this now. And now I think I'm in righteousness. But righteousness goes beyond stop sinning or stop practicing sin. So you can say it this way. I'm righteous when I walk in my divine call, my divine purpose, and my divine right to finish. Then I'm righteous. Not because I don't practice sin anymore. I'm righteous when I walk in my divine call, my divine purpose, and my divine right to finish. Because righteousness does not just mean the absence of sin. It also means functioning the way He created you to function before the foundation of the earth. It's a part of it. It goes with it. The last question I ask you is, have you begun to work on your shortcomings? 
If you can clearly see who you are supposed to be, you can clearly see who you are not. If you can clearly see, this is what I'm supposed to be, you clearly see, well, I'm not there. Once you get the vision, it gets clear. And you can go to work on those things of God. You know, God, you say, oh, God, I'm here and you want me over there. It becomes clear. Oh, I'm still here, God. You want me over there. See, you will never, ever see how far you are off from the mark until you see the mark. See, you've got to see the mark and then you'll see how far off you are. But see, if you never see the mark, you don't know how far off you are. But see, that's what godly knowledge will show you the mark. And then you say, whoa, I'm way off the mark. And you've been coming to church all the time. You'll never be able to see the mark until you see, to, to see even how to get to the mark. Until you see the mark and then you see how far off you really are. You'd be like, gosh, the mark is a long ways off. See, that's when you start trying to skirt around the word because you're a long way off of the mark. Then we said that there's safety in knowing the plan. That is the action necessary to accomplish the vision. We also said that the plan directs us to the final outcome. We make the plans, God gives the vision. We make the plans. God gives the vision. The Bible says in Psalm 37, the steps or the plans of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his ways. See, when God orders the steps and you follow them, God delights in that. In other words, he gives the good man a a vision. Then the good man takes the vision and make a plan. Did you hear that? God gives a good man the vision. And God said, now do something with it. Then you take the vision and you make a plan. And then when you make the plan, then God begins to order the plan. And he delights seeing the good man getting to the end of the vision. Why? Because I ordered his steps after he showed me the plan. Remember, we're workers together with him. I know we want God to do the vision, the plan, the everything, but no, no, no. He gives the vision. You make the plans. And then he orders the steps. And obviously we said we know that that's not God's plan. Because if it was God's plan, he wouldn't have to order it. Because nothing that God does ever, ever, Whatever he does, it never, never, ever needs to be where he has to come in and refine it. That's why we know that it's God's plan, because he has to order our steps. If, 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 if it was his plan, he would not have to order our steps, because it will be what it is. He does, anything that God puts out, he don't have to refine. He is ordering our steps, because whatever plan you have, he has to refine it. Because we're mere men. And we're going to come, he'll be like, oh, no, that won't work with that. You're going to have to get that out of the plan. you got to do that. He has to refine it. That's why your steps are ordered. That's why it's not God. Well, I just already know that God. No, no, God gave you the vision. The plan was yours. 
And God said, nope. That, that's why he begins to order the steps of the plan and say, and then you're showing him the plan, you begin to walk in, and he's like, nope, that's not that. That has to be taken out of the plan. That has to be put in. So that's why, you know, the plan has nothing to do with God. Because if it had to do with God, he wouldn't have to order your steps. He wouldn't have to refine it. Nothing God ever does needs refining. Once he does it, it's solid. Do we understand that? Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. No mistakes there. Nothing needs refining. Nothing needs to be ordered. It only needs to be ordered when man put his hands on it. But thank God that God said, I'll order your steps when you make a plan. But guess what? God is so good, He won't just make, let you make the plan off the top of your head. He gives you churches like this to minister to your heart so that you can put the information, the godly information, in the plan. When you put it in the plan, guess what? It works. It's successful. So, if you, get, if you gave them the plans, and it was good and perfect, you wouldn't need your steps ordered. But since you make the plans and he has to order it, he has to refine it, he has to control it, he has to manage it, he has to cause you to yield to it, he has to do all of that. That's ordering your steps. Then we said that the vision operates in us by faith and the plan operates in us by works. Go with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Are you there? Yeah, well, I'm going to be there, and you just meet me over there. In James chapter 2, verse 14. Listen, when God gives you the vision, the vision makes known the final outcome. But since you're not in the, not at the final outcome, that's by faith. Did you hear me? The final outcome is by faith. And that's where he wants you to be. He give you the, 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 the vision, and then when you look at it, the final outcome, the end, then that's by faith. Now, my faith has to kick in. That's where he wants you to be. He makes known the final outcome, but since it's not visibly manifested, you have to accept that by faith. Let's deal with this faith thing. Did you hear me? He's going to show you the final outcome. He's going to show you and tell you to get on course. Now, in order for, because it's not visible and manifested, it's not all there. It's all, he's shown it to you. But it's something that's going to be in a future time. Then he says, now you have to accept that by faith. Now, the plan, or getting to that point, that's the works. And we're going to see that in James. You know, in reading this in James, I'm not sure by reading James which one is more important, faith or the works. I would say certainly of equal importance, the faith and the works. You know, if you do a lot of Christian reading, you think all you need is faith. 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 That's all you need is faith. Now, when God gave me this, I was blessed. 
in my study time, and he started talking about it, he said, examine the mustard seed. And I went and I looked at it. And because I was, we were talking about, you know, needing faith to the outcome, to get to the outcome. And I saw that even the mustard seed had to grow by, by itself through its works. Even the mustard seed had to grow by itself through its work. You know, people always say, if I had faith as a mustard seed, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you know what you would be doing? You'd be pushing through the soil, sprouting up, bearing through the sun, trying to be, uh, prevent yourself from being swept away by wind and rain. So if you had faith as a mustard seed, mustard seed, you'd be doing something. <laughs> if you really had faith as a mustard seed, you'd be doing something. And the reason the mustard seed had great faith is, not, is that it was so small and was going to become great. See, you have to understand the mustard seed. Did you hear me? The reason the mustard seed had great faith is that it was so small and that it was going to become something great. Because it was going to be great. See, the faith of the mustard seed was not the fact that it ended uh, uh, ended up being is going to be a plant because it was a small mustard seed. The faith of the mustard seed was the fact that it was going to do it was going on and do things about the business of becoming a plant. See, that's what we have to get. See, it's, it's not about the fact that it was was, was going to be a plant. The main thing about the mustard seed is the business that it took and how it went about to get to the plant. Like I said, it has to go through the sun, the wind, the rain. It, it was doing something. It was working. So people say, if I only had, to, you know, I can only have, you know, I, I looked at a mustard seed. I have faith as much as a mustard seed. Then you, you know, people say that and then they sit right down. Well, that what a mustard seed wouldn't do that. The mustard seed wouldn't do that. Oh, the mustard seed would have gotten up and been about the father's business, or been about the business of what it's supposed to do to become a tree. So you, you can't have faith. That's why I said in reading James, I'm like, well, you know what? I don't know which one is more important because you, you know what? When it comes to faith and just reading and studying this out, I don't know if you can even have faith if you don't have any corresponding work just by looking at the mustard seed. I don't know how you can say you even have faith. I don't even know if you can have faith without some corresponding works. I don't even know if there even be a truth that, you know, that there's a such thing as faith without works. If we just, if, if we just look at, I mean, we look at faith all over the scriptures, but just looking at the mustard seed and what it had to do. 
to get where it needed to go. And the fact that everywhere in the Bible where you see faith, you, uh, you, see, it, it, you see a visible manifestation. Wherever you see in the Bible talking about faith, you see a visible manifestation of that faith. You never hear a proclamation of faith. You see a demonstration of faith. And most of God's people, many have a great proclamation of faith. But very little demonstration of faith. Let's look at James so you won't get mad at me. Because it says, this is what the Word is saying. And I'm just a donkey. God will speak to anybody. So I don't want you mad at me. So let's walk through the Bible and let God tell you. And you won't have to be mad at me. In chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, it says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not uh, not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. Show it to me. And I'll show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Huh? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, if you know some of you, you know... If you, and some people like that, you see a brother or sister struggling and they like, you know, I don't have a way to church. Where, and, and, and how are you going to tell them, well, I'm praying for you. And I pray, I'm praying that, you know, you'll get there and I'm praying that I'm going to see you Sunday morning. I'm just going to pray that God will send somebody by. And you have a car. You fall in this bracket. I'm praying for you and let me just pray with you before I go. But I really would like to come to church. Well, I'm, I'm praying that you, I'm praying that you will, and you have the means, and you going to the same place that they want to go. You believe in God by faith for them. Mm-mm. And I like verse seventeen to nineteen. Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well, and the devils also believe in tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? See, believing that, believing that that. Believing that there is a God is not necessarily faith. Because the Bible says the devils believe that there is a God, but they don't follow His ways. They don't, do, they don't follow His principles. They don't follow His statutes. They don't follow His judgment. But now one, 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 one thing that they do have, they're scared of Him. They're scared of Him. They may have a little more faith than us because at least they have fear. It just says that we acknowledge that He is, but they have fear. 
At least they have one work, is that they're scared. Look at verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without work is dead being alone. Faith without corresponding action is like a body in a casket six feet under. That's basically what that's saying. Now, a natural body that no longer possesses the spirit is not even called, you know, a body. It's called remains. It's something else. It's something else. It's simply a shell. It's not no longer that person. The person is gone. We don't look at things that are dead and call it what it once was. We call it what it is then. When a person is gone from their body, it's no longer called a person. Because the real them is gone. All of a sudden it's called a body or a remain. But I'll keep, keep in mind we're talking about faith. So if we don't look at a person that have died and gone on and left that shell here and called that shell a person anymore, you can't look at faith absent from work and call it faith. You cannot. You don't do no works and you say you're walking in by, you know, in faith. No. It's not the same thing. You can't, you can't, can't look at faith absent from work, absent from works that you need to do to show that you have faith and call it faith. All of the things that make it faith is gone. The works. It's dead. It's hollow. It's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not faith. Because there's no works. It's not faith because there's no works. So now I have another little self-test for you. But before I give you this self-test, I want to share this with you. When I talk about making a plan, The plan must start where you are right now. The plan when I talk when I'm talking about making a plan, the plan must start where you are. And I know that sounds commonsensical, but it has to start where you are. Bear with me. A plan starts where you are. Listen, both naturally and spiritually. The plan must start where you are both naturally and spiritually. You cannot be spiritually mature and naturally immature. Ooh, you cannot. The plan has to start where you are. You cannot be spiritually mature and naturally immature. If you are spiritually mature, guess what? The natural fruit will follow also. We could see it. If you are spiritually mature, the fruit will be seen. So you can't say, I got my relationship right with God and, you know, it's all cranked up and it's good. And, you know, even though my home is not in order. But I have peace just knowing that I'm right with God. 
But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says natural comes first. Natural comes first. You cannot be a spiritual giant and a natural midget. Don't fit. You cannot be a spiritual giant and a natural midget. Conversely, you, you, because you, you are a natural giant, you can't have, be a spiritual midget. See, they have to go together. If you're gonna work the plan. And God is gonna start right where you are. Where you are naturally and where you are spiritually are equal. Where you are naturally and where you are spiritually are equal. Now you just got to live with that. Where you are naturally and where you are spiritually are equal. I don't care what you say. I'm not impressed about what you say with your voice. I know natural and spiritual. Wherever you are naturally, you're pretty much there spiritually. Are you with me? Now, you can boast yourself up in the eyes of God and people that, you know, your kingdom of God, you know, you know, this, that is right or is not right or whatever. You can boast of and, and say, you know, your, you know, your kingdom of heaven, your sphere of influence is right or is not right. And it's, you know, it, this one's right and that was wrong. My spiritual, you know, my working on myself is right, but, you know, my spiritual influence wrong is wrong. No, not equal. It has to be equal. Because the first thing that God does when He's in charge of anything, and this is what God is requiring for us, He organizes it. Anything that God does, that's what He did at the beginning of time. He organized the earth before He brought man to it and said that it is good. He didn't bring it in and bring the man in and say, okay, let me see what I'm going to do. Let what I'm doing. He organized the earth. So everything, everything that God does or is in charge of is organized. So some of us have to go back and make our plans over. The plans that you have. Got to make them over again. Because you made them with the assumption that you were in a place that you were not. See, a lot of times we try to make plans and you're not even there. For example, don't try to make plans that your parents have. You ain't there. It has, I mean, it has nothing to do with your love walk. Don't try to do, don't, don't, don't do it. You, no, no, no. Baby, you gotta pay your dues. I don't care if your parents spot you here and spot you there. You still gotta pay your dues. God said, they can do that, but I'm not doing it. I'm showing you, you're going to have to, I'm gonna meet you where you are. You, you can't try to do what somebody else is doing. Some of you made plans based on somebody else that have already worked through them. And now you're trying to do it and you're not there. You're not in that place. It's not that you'll never get to the place, but you gotta work to that place. You think your parents or you think they got through it just overnight? Most of their parents have been 25 or 30 years to get where they are. And you've been in it three and think you're gonna 
No, it, it, it just doesn't work like that. Well, I'm going to do that too. No. You'll do it for a little while, but it won't last. You, can't, you won't be able to do it. So some of you have to go back, make your plans over. It's okay. That's why God is here telling you today. Go back and change your plan. Because God is saying, I'm going to meet you where you are, not where you thought you were. So you have to make some decisions about where you are and where you need to be. See, that's the first thing. You got to make some decisions about where you really are and where you need to be. You have to make some honest, natural assessments of where you are. You have to make a plan from where you are to ideally, ideally where God would want have you to be. But it has to be realistic. Then you're able to function in the infrastructure that is to come. You need to make a plan. And that plan must take into consideration of where you are now. Did you hear me? Your plan that you have to make. Listen. How are you going to make a plan of your parents or somebody else that you see that makes more money than you? You're not where they are. So you're making money on their income? You're making the wrong plan. <laughs> no. You've got to make the plan for your life where you are. Oh, well, I'm making $30,000. Make a plan on the 30000 a year. Now, if your parents are making $100,000, can you see you making a plan? Can you see how that will fail? It will. I promise you it will. Because that, that, that's the, you're on the wrong plan. So now I need to go back and assess where I am financially, spiritually, administratively. i got to say, this is where I am and this is where I'm going. Now this is what I need to do to get there. See, your parents could probably say, okay, I can take 70% for kingdom building. And when I say kingdom building, for those of you who don't know, I'm not talking about giving all your money to the church. I'm talking about just kingdom building. There's many other things besides money to the church. And they say, you know, where we are now, I can take 70%. This is just hypothetically. And we can live off of that. But can you? You might can say, no, well, you know, we can, you know, we can, we can give 20%. Because where we are, we need beds. We need this. See, it's different. You have, God is going to meet you where you are. Don't try to be where you're not. You're going to get yourself in trouble. That's how marriage problems and situations start. With all of that trying to put, trying to be something that you're not. No. Don't, let me, don't hang out people with people that can do more than you and try to match them. That's crazy. You grin and smile and say, I'm staying in my lane. Don't try to do what I'm doing. God is, gonna, God is telling you to base your plan on where you are. And guess what? You won't always be there, but that's where you are now. If you try to go past that trouble, or, or did you hear me, trouble? So the plan must always take in consideration of where you are right now. It always has to take in consideration where you're going. 
there has to be an understanding that there are some natural needs that may come up. So I've got to put that in the plan. If your parents got grown children and you got little children, the plan is different. <laughs> Anything can come up with little children. The parents are like, I'm done. I'll help you, but I'm done. They're just trying to help you where you are. Listen, what's happening in your life naturally, listen, is a reflection of where you are spiritually. So it's not always the harassment of the devil. And sometimes the rent is due and the bills are due because you blew it. They don't have nothing to do with the devil. It has nothing to do with satanic harassment. Because satan actually satanic harassment only comes when you're doing the will of God. So not paying your bill have nothing to do with the will of God. So only time that satanic, you know, people just say satanic harassment for everything. No, it only comes when you in the will of God. Everything else, you just blowing it. Did, did you get it? You just blew it. Then this is how you're going to be coming to a place where you're moving towards your divine right to finish. Some things in your life is spiritual shortcomings that's manifesting itself naturally. The spiritual shortcomings in your life. You have to get all of that together. Because all of that goes in the plan. That's, it's work. Because remember, God gives the vision, but you do the plans. And then you present the plans to Him. And then He begins to order your steps. And say, nope, nope, nope. And guess what? This morning he's ordering your steps and tell what did he just tell you? You gotta do yours all over again. Your natural fruit must line up with your spiritual fruit. See, I was looking back over my life for the last few years with since Pastor Hill is gone, and my natural fruit line uh, you know, it My natural fruit lines up with my spiritual fruit of where I am right now. Now, I know where my founding pastor's fruit was. My fruit is not where his fruit was. But baby, I want you to know I'm working on it. Because he was my pastor. But I, but I get it. Like your fruit, no, you, you got you to gotta work on that. You got to work on that. So I'm working on getting it there. See, I understand like my founding pastor, this is why I'm working on it. Because my pastor understood this one thing. He always said, Alva, consider the fruit. Consider the fruit. I'm working on it. Ask yourself, can someone look at your natural fruit and discern that you're in the same place spiritually as your pastor? They should be able to. And say, oh no, they don't want to accord with their pastor. The fruit is there. You will also see the fruit that those that are not. It'll show. Your fruit should be in the same place spiritually as the pastor. The Bible says, let your light so shine. Your natural stuff. 
you know, so that men will see and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We must understand that there is a balance between that which is natural and that which is spiritual. Now, let's do the self-test. <laughs> still, got, still, still got things to tell you. God is faithful. You know, this is going to be hard for me to go back in 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 um, January because you know we have Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, and our Sunday morning service be short, and so uh, it's been longer through the pandemic because I'm doing Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and so I'm gonna have to get my whole mindset turned around back because we come back Sunday evening, and I'm gonna have to have. But right now we're full born force where you don't come back on Sunday night but you get fed a good great meal so question number one have you established a plan spiritually financially administratively if you're struggling in any of those areas recognize listen recognizing the struggle will not get rid of the struggle there has to be a plan yeah, I see where I'm at. Yeah, but do you have a plan to get out? People love, I mean, just recognizing that you have it won't know. Those that are involved in your life, do they know the plan? Your children, your spouse, your mate, do they know the plan? Is your plan yielded to God? This is your self-test. You don't have to answer me. You've got to ask yourself these things in your own time. When I said, is your plan yielded to God? In other words, is that leeway for Him to speak to you? Or are you just sure that you're right? When He tries to, 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 to correct you based on 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 the plan that you made, are you yielded? What is your response? Do you yield when God tries? Just like He's doing this morning, when He's coming in and trying to correct your plan, how do you yield to Him? How do you respond? Do you be like, "Oh no, but I'm keeping that"? No, I don't get. No, no, I know this is it. I, how do, do you yield? How do you respond? And have you put your plan into operation? The things that I know that I'm supposed to do, have you put it in operation? The place that I know I should be, am I making progress towards that area? Or do I have something that just looks real good on paper and, they haven't made, and you haven't made any progress toward it? See, it's good on paper, but what is your progress of getting to it? It's more to it than just putting it on paper. What did the minister say this morning? Write it down, make it plain so you can run with it. That means you've got to start moving. It has to come off the paper and begin to move. So we said, number one, there's safety in knowing the vision. Number two, there's safety in knowing the plan. Number three, there is safety in knowing the motivation. There's safety in knowing the motivation. And the motivation is why we do something. That's what the motivation is, why we do something. The motivation is why we desire to finish the vision. What motivates you to get to the end? These are questions. These are self-tests. 
that you have to ask yourself, what motivates us to get to the end? I mean truly from your heart, in your heart, in your heart of hearts, what motivates you to get to the end? There has to be something motivating you. There has to be something in you that's saying, I got to get this done. I got to have my part in this. I got to get myself together. I have to have the plan worked out so that I could be in this infrastructure so when, when it's all said and done, God can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because I had a plan and I worked the plan. Got to work the plan. Then we have to ask ourselves, am I still motivated? Ask yourself this. Am I motivated by pride, greed, selfishness? What's motivating you? Because your motivation determines the success of the outcome. It determines your motivation. Because, see, vision makes known the first, the final outcome. The plan directs us to the final outcome. But the motivation, it determines the success of the final outcome. I'll say it again. The vision makes known the final outcome. God's going to give the vision. You make the plan. The plan directs us to the final out- outcome. I lay it out. But the motivation determines the success of the final outcome. Why? Because our motivation is our purpose of heart. A a correct motivation keeps the vision from spoiling. The correct motivation prevents the vision from spoiling. It keeps it fresh. It keeps it pure. And you know, sometimes I challenge what people's motivations really are, just in different areas. The heart of people, you know, the heart of people, people say, I love my child. That's why I give them what, you know, I give them what they want. I challenge that. I think personally, I think that is an erroneous assumption that just because you're a parent, you love your child. That's just me. I think it's an erroneous assumption that to assume that every parent loved their child. I think you care about them. I think most parents want their children to be happy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you love them just because you want them happy. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go back and find out what's motivating them. Motivation. See, it's what the... Our love sometimes is defined by the world and what the world say love is. Ask yourself, do I define love the way the world says it is or do I define love the way God says it is? Hmm. How does God define what love is? Because most of us say we love our children based on feelings. 
But guess what? Love has nothing to do with feelings. Ask yourselves, is your motivation for love for them is just to get quietness in the house? I'm not about your children. We have to ask ourselves these tough questions. Ask yourself, when is it love? Or when is it I just want them to be happy? That's good. You don't have to answer them. I have to answer them. Just, just, just ask yourself. What's our motivation? The purpose of heart. One thing we have to understand about Christianity as it relates to our young people, and especially those of you that have young ones in the house and, 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 you know, live at home with you, one thing that, you know, we have to understand about Christianity as it relates to young people, it does not mean no. Christianity means yes. Some of us have to go back and take a good look at what we're doing with our children. We strip them of everything and give them nothing. You can't do that. You can't go there. And so you tell them, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go there. You can't, you know, know, stop that. We, tell, we do all of that, and then we send them to the room to sit in the room with their thoughts. Now, I'm not giving anybody no license to sin. I'm showing you because they're always, that's one of the things that I can give kudos to this ministry for. You need to always have an alternative. That's why we do different things with the youth group, different alternatives. But when you have no alternative and you're just putting all the no's on them and they're Christians and you sit in the room with their own thoughts. Christianity is not a succession of no's. It is a succession of yes. Yes. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. We are the children of God. We are the inheritance of the earth. There are more things that we can do than we cannot do. And I always tell you, and I'll say it again, you can do everything but sin. There's a lot of things you can do. But as parents, you've got to be careful that you're not so have such a motivation. You just want to close them in. Lock them down. Hold them tight. Because you'll find yourself in a state of no. No. Now, we, now let's, we, we balance. You know, some things that you've got to say no to. Can I go to the pot party? And that's just straight no. I'm not talking about things like that. I'm talking about just, things, just saying no because no, I just want to keep you and shield you from everything. And No, no, it's yes. We want our children to love Christianity. Not a succession of no's. And not a place where we're never providing alternatives. Hallelujah night is an alternative. That's all that is. Options. Activities. Some of you haven't even taken the time to investigate other alternatives. Some of you just say, nope, that's, nope, you're not doing that. 
Some of you are just so boring and you want your children to be stale and boring too. No, they're not going to do that. And that's simply because you haven't figured out what God allows us to do in this wonderful earth. It's plenty. We can do everything but sin. Everything. We stop parting so we don't want them to pardon you. But you never filled in the gap. You got to fill in the gap. See, that's balance. The Bible, again, says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Again, not a succession of no, but a succession of yes. Yes, you can have peace. Yes, you can have joy. Yes, you can have fulfillment. Yes, you can have all that the earth has for you. Yes, you can do that. It's a, you, you need to tell them all of the yeses. Yes, you can achieve. Yes, you can excel. Yes. Yes. Turn quickly. Last scripture to Matthew chapter 7. I, wanna, I want us to get this. Because you've got to make a plan. So if you've got to make a plan, you better do it right. You want to do it right. Why come I can't get to Matthew chapter 7? Are you all following me? I, I, I want you all to, to know where, where, where I'm going with this. Our motivation determines our fruit. Write it down. Our motivation determines our fruit. However you're motivated determines your fruit. So, if your fruit around you looks shaky, it's not the fruit's fault. You've got to go back and check the motivation. You know, when you go to pluck an apple tree from an uh, apple from an apple tree, it's not the fruit's fault if it's bitter or sweet. It's the tree. It's not the fruit. It's the tree. It's the tree's responsibility to determine the quality of the fruit. Follow me. It's not the fruit's responsibility. Are you in Matthew chapter 7? Beginning at verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes and thorns or figs of thistle? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can corrupt uh, tree bring forth good fruit. Now listen, our children are our fruit. Get it? Our children are our fruit. They are the fruit of our loins. Look at verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Our children are our fruit. Some of you need to go back and love your fruit. Go back and love your fruit. Establish a relationship with your fruit. Some of you with young fruit. Stop sending them to the room and start sitting down with them. Going places with them. 
fellowshipping with them. That's fellows in a ship. Fellowshipping with them. They are your fruit. They're the fruit of your loins. You know, it's almost impossible, impossible for fruit to overexcel the tree. Did you hear me? It's almost impossible for the fruit to overexcel the tree. The reason that is, it's almost impossible until the fruit becomes disconnected from the tree. See, until the fruit becomes disconnected from the tree, the fruit is dependent upon the tree. It has to suffer based on whatever is said by the tree. I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if the fruit like it or not. If it's dependent on the truth, it has to suffer through whatever the tree says until it's disconnected. Fruit never determines its own outcome until it becomes a tree itself. That's one of the reasons why I say you can't, you can't do what somebody else is doing because you're going to come a tree yourself. Up until a certain point, the fruit is dependent upon the tree that feeds it. Some of you have to go back, look back at what you have done with your fruit. And this is what you need to understand. Some of the fruit is not necessarily fruit from your loin. Not biological, they're not your biological children, but those children also that are in your sphere of influence. See, that's the way God considered. God said, now, you got influence over them. They're around you. They're in your sphere of influence. Those children that God, see, you don't even know it. You think, see, God will make you accept something and you think it's your idea but it's God systematically placed around you what they what they want around you what are you doing with that fruit what are you doing with that fruit God's watching what are you doing with that fruit do they know that fruit means do they know that Christianity means joy peace excitement enthusiasm life and not only life, life more abundantly. Because we're showing them that. Or have we set expectations for our fruit that our fruit can't possibly bear? Some of us want our 11-year-old, 10, 11, 12-year-olds to behave on a level based on their maturity and they just cannot. Because they're, that's where their maturity is. We want them to go beyond what they're mature enough to grow. Go. Well, you could do this with the 10, 11. They're immature. Jesus had to grow up. Read Luke. Then you have to grow. If Jesus had to grow, especially you with young children, if Jesus had to grow, your children have to grow. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they said, be quiet, shut up, sit down, <laughs> sit under authority. 
You need to increase in stature and favor and wisdom in both God and man. See, you got to look at it that way. Because that's the way it is. So if the Son of God had to increase in the eyes of God, what makes you think that your children are going to be perfect? Just perfect. That's not happening. So what are you doing with that fruit? Ask yourself. This is still a self-test. See, because we're talking about these things. Because See, it, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can live holy. I don't care how old you are. You can live holy. No matter how old you are, you can understand God based on the level of your understanding. So we're not talking about that. But some of these other expectations we put on our young people, it's outside of what they are, you know, what they can do based on their natural maturity. It's extremely, extremely difficult for a 10-year-old or 11-year-old to go to school and take a stance on anything. They're, they're, they're kids. They're not mature enough to. And in the process, while you're trying to tell them to make a stand, they're going through hormone changes. They can't do it. They're not even establishing who they are. They're not adults yet. They're still wrapped with, you know, just insecurities themselves. So we have to make sure that you're placing expectations that are realistic. Those of you that have young children, you have to place expectations that are realistic. Oh yeah, yeah, you have to live holy. You have to live holy, so don't just get a deal, oh, my parents are going to let me do. They're not going to let you do no anything. I tell you, you can do anything but sin. So you have to live holy because no matter how old you are, you can live holy. Yes, no matter how old you are, you can obey authority. And you have to obey authority because guess, guess what? Everybody has to obey authority. I don't care who they are. I know you think your parents don't, but your parents have to obey authority too. Everybody has to obey authority. So yeah, any age, you, you get the need to be under authority. And, and you know, sometime the expectation that you put on, be honest. Look back at your life at their age. You wouldn't be able to do it either. You, you're just not, just not a mature enough. So when we take an honest assessment, including those who are in our sphere of influence, we have to take into consideration who they are. Now I'm going to pop something on you right now to show you everybody has to grow. Jesus had to grow. And it took him 18 years. We heard Jesus at 12, remember? And actually he was out of order. And guess what? His parents put him under authority. And we didn't hear again from him until he was 30. You remember? When they said, where you been? He said, didn't you know I'd be behind, I'd, I'd be about my father's business. They said, get your tail on up here. And, and and get with this with this with with the group and stay with them. But notice we didn't hear from him again until he was thirty. He was under authority. He was growing. He was developing in wisdom. 
He spoke that one time, and we didn't hear from him again. His parents placed him under authority. <laughs> and we didn't hear from him for 18 years. I said, God, you know what? How awesome are you? Eighteen years. For, it took 18 years for him to increase. And he lived without sin. All I'm saying is we have to make sure that our expectations are realistic for our younger generation. Let's make it real. Again, I'm not giving anyone any excuse to sin because there is a balance. This has not, what I'm talking about has nothing to do with sin and righteousness. It has to do with understanding that people have to grow and develop. And you cannot be more spiritually mature than you are naturally mature. They must be equal. They must be equal. So again, looking at our first test, have I challenged? Ask yourself, have you challenged your motivation? Why am I doing this? What am I doing? What am I doing? Challenge some of the decisions that you make. Ask yourself, have those in my life benefited from my decisions? Ask yourself, do the decisions... And my desires, do they match? The decisions and your desires, do they match? In other words, the thing that God has called you to do and what you desire to do in your heart, are they yet in line one with another? Ask yourself, does this match? And then final questions. Ask yourself, who do I love? And in conjunction with that, ask yourself, what do I love? Self-test. I had to do it, and I had to, 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 to ask myself, and I had to answer him. Last one. Am I motivated at all? Ask yourself, am I motivated at all? Because in every area of your life in this ministry will show how your motivation is. To get what's done, what needs to be done. Am I really motivated at all? It'll show in your fruit. You can always tell what people are motivated with. I've seen so many people, they motivated with their job. They ain't nearly as motivated with things of God. Mm-mm. They're not in the things of God. They're around it. That won't keep you. That's trouble for you. You don't see it now, but you will. Am I really motivated? Am I? These are things we must think about. These are things. This is all of this is being having safety and knowledge. I know some of you don't want to go back and readjust your plans, but God said you have to. You got that that's you was on you was on the wrong plan. You on somebody else's plan. You you was on somebody else's plan. You you not even there. 
You can't base no plan on somebody else's. God is going to meet you where you are right now. And say, okay, now let's go. You, you, you know the vision. God has been telling us the vision of establishing this ministry since our founding pastor left. He's shown us the end. He showed us what we need to do. Showed us the wall building we need to do. Show, he's shown us everything. So what now? What do you need to do? What is your plan to make sure that you're in there so the infrastructure can be built? So that it can be established by our children's 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 children or until Jesus returns. Sit down. Make the plan. And if you're the man of the house, you should have you should you should sit the family down and make a plan. And you know that run the mouth woman. I'm sorry you got that, but you need to tell her to shut up. You have the plan. And, and tell her, nope, I don't need your input on it. I'm gonna do. It. Well, I don't think we should do. It. Well, see, well, you married that. You married that. God ain't told her to run nothing. You got to say, nope, this is what we're going to do. I know you don't like it, but this is what we're going to do. We got to change the plan. This is what we're doing. Because a lot of times, if you know, if you have, you know, if, if you have one income or two income, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Don't have one income and children. You really got to have, you better have a plan. If you don't, guess where you're going to be? Always at your parents' footsteps. Because you don't have a plan. Because you don't have a plan. Plan takes sacrifice and saying, oh, this. Because within that plan, things could come up. So you're like, okay, let me base my plan on this, 10%. Well, let me base my plan on that. You know, that's just financial. Well, okay, what am I going to do spiritually? You know, I need to make sure that this, I need to do this, that, and the other. I need to grow in this. Many things. But again, it will become clarity to you even more so once you get involved with your divine call, which is reconciling those which are lost. When you get a desire to go out and minister to those that do not have the Lord, then everything will become clear. You'll know how to make a plan. You can have, and don't try to go like doing like the world is doing to make a plan. That's not what I'm talking about. Everything biblical, biblical. It has to be. And in the coming in the in the in the coming new year, God has some things set up to help everybody get there. But you need to start now. Because you're gonna increase in knowledge and wisdom. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.